No, and you're gonna want to subscribe to patreon.com slash house of decline. You'll get so many more comics, so many more podcasts, some behind the scenes pictures, even though I don't do that as much as I should. But uh, I will reveal my face on Patreon. You'll get to see what a freaky little guy I am. And you get to maybe Steven will reveal his face, but no. probably not because no. he's he's less invested in this whole uh, parasocial just, game. Just Google Joe Para, and that's what yeah. I look like. <laughs> yeah, Steven Steven has given himself a Joe Para haircut and a Joe Para style cable knit sweater. It's uh, LL Bean, thank you. There you go. Uh, is it the LL Bean Joe Para edition? It's the most itchy one they had. That is the Joe Para edition. Also, on the show today, we have writer, director, producer, uh, wrestling event... I guess that falls under producer. Wrestling event producer. Scholar of philosophy and history. It's our own Lux. Back again. Oh, what's up? It's me. Saying hi to my friends. Hell yeah, we're always glad to have you on the show, because you're, you're always... You're always out and about. You're always doing things and and reporting on things. Isn't that right? Yeah, I kind of like I was talking to some friends of mine, actually, at the show we put on yesterday about what I've been up to lately. And they were like, how like how deep into your life can you continue to operate the way that you do? Like, how long can you continue to like be a living person doing this? And I was like, well, I guess we'll find out, like probably the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one thing. You got a wrestling promotion going on. You got Party World Wrestling. We got Party World Wrestling. We got Fight Opera. We got Slam Portal. Slam Portal was yesterday. Um, there's three shows now, and they're all different. Mm-hmm. Um, but Slam Portal was yesterday. It was mostly good, except someone got hurt, and my film crew did not understand what I meant when I said it was jumping up and down, putting up an X with my hands, which was to say, stop filming the injured man. <laughs> yeah, so no, this kept, is exploitation, though. So they kept filming the injured man, and so there's a live stream that is still on Twitch where you can see a guy fall, severely hurt his leg, and then some really beautiful shots. Oh, so they, <laughs> they thought you were holding up an X, and it was like, that means we're going into exploitation mode, okay? Zoom in on the fracture. We yeah. need to see the bone. We need to see the bone. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is... truly did not realize it was a problem until I left backstage to help carry the dude away. And that was when they were like, oh, no, we got to stop filming this. But like for a solid minute and a half before that, they were just like zoomed in, like locked in on this man. Like, like oh, I'm in so much pain. I mean, that's a very interesting uh, part of wrestling, too, is because even though, like, Party World Wrestling, for those that don't know, describe what Party World Wrestling is. Yeah, and this description basically fits all three to varying degrees. It's like, it's sort of like um, theat like comedy theater sketch stuff, but with violence. Like, it's like wrestling, but the wrestling is usually in, in, the, in the service of comedy for the most part, or at least, like, is set up by comedy stuff. Um, so it's all very silly, very character-based, and very, like, jokesly. Like, for instance, we had a match yesterday that was an anti-weed Christian boy band versus a tag team called Viva La Rasta, who, like, smoked several joints over the course of the match. <laughs> um, so that's the sort of shit you can expect. There is more, so there is, like, a sort of meta-awareness or a self-awareness to it based on how consciously goofy it is. But I think it's interesting that even with this enhanced meta awareness you're still fully in the kayfabe of wrestling because you're still filming the guy getting injured and you're so 
the kayfabe is so all-encompassing that you're like forgetting oh wait uh, this is this has just become real now this has just become real again yeah and i think that's crazy very... because like that's like the weird the weird position that i have right because i direct the camera from backstage so i see everything from multiple angles and i'm like cutting everything and i have like a note stock of what's going to happen in front of me so i like see it and it's most like stripped of artifice of like everyone but no one else sees it in that way, except for also mm-hmm. shouts out stage uh, stage manager uh, Lesha, who does has the same thing. Um, but like no one else sees it that way. And so to me, it's very like we're just moving parts around, putting on a show. But even the camera people and shit can get caught up in the magic because they don't like have the note stock in front of them. They don't know that yeah. like they don't know that like this figure four ends with a power bomb that feeds into over and over the top spot into whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there's a degree to which, like, uh, yeah, I I look at it within this very non kayfabe way, and I sometimes forget that, like, even the people working the show, like, can get caught. And I know, like, it happens because there was a show we did where I had to ref, and I did a really bad job of refing because two of my best <laughs> friends were wrestling, and I kept getting work and being getting work to me, like, oh shit, did Kyle hurt himself? Do I need to stop? They're like, what's happening? Um, <laughs> they were really so, good actors. They were they doing were really, really good. good. And I kept getting work, and it was just like, oh, this is a disaster. Like, I forget forgetting to count to three because I was like, someone's getting hurt or like counting <laughs> fucking long rope breaks. I was like, oh shit, I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. So I don't do that no more. But yeah. um, well, that's what it's like on the floor. It's different on the floor because you are part of the performance as well. The audience is an integral part of performance. Uh, yeah. a, a cameraman who's roving around the wrestlers becomes part of the performance as well. So it's easier to get caught up in the magic than when you're in your, uh, when you're in your booth, your omniscient booth. Yeah. Um, Also to be fair, another reason why I did a bad job of refereeing that show, that match was that I was wearing a Pikachu costume. And right before the match started, uh, my friend was like, you do know that we can all see your penis. (laughs) Um, The costume, the costume does not fit you correctly. And it is very clear sort of the whole the entire zone is like yeah. extremely like detailed. Uh, so I was really self-conscious of all of that during the match and it ended uncomfortable. So it was all really a, the, the, my one experience with the refereeing and wrestling match was an absolute catastrophe in every way. Um, which is, you know, that feels brand brand. Natural. The one time I get in front of people, it's like a total fucking disaster. It's like, get back in your get backstage where you belong. You nasty little man. You got to be pulling the strings, you know. That's you're the, you're like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and know? I'm literally Jewish. We operate behind the scenes. It's like our whole, it's <laughs> our whole thing. It's cabals and conspiracy. That's what we do. Yeah, people ask why there's never going to be a Jewish president. There already was Kissinger, baby. Yeah. Was- <laughs> oh. Yeah, for sure. Also, uh, the various warlocks who enchanted Nixon and, and and you know even back to Eisenhower. There's a long tradition of warlocks. Yeah, and Jewish Douglas warlocks. Douglas MacArthur called uh, Harry Truman a Jew. But I think that was just meant to be an insult. Yeah, I don't think it works when someone else tells you that's your deal. Yeah, really? I think it you, doesn't work you have that to way. choose it. You can't just, just, we don't get to go around assigning that one. <laughs> like, I have my operating theory that Douglas MacArthur was gay. Oh, yeah. Just, he was oh, such yeah. a diva. You know? I mean, he, had to, he, he, he was like um, having dinner with his mother up until he was like 40. <laughs> he also, oh, mother, they're taking us in the west again. I guess I, I'm, not, I'm just doing Hunter Gathers from Venture Bros, who's who's there, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, uh, Douglas MacArthur, composite character. But anyway, back to the wrestling. Back to the wrestling. Uh, so this has been uh, PWR has been on break for a bit because of COVID. We've had two shows since. Um, the bigger thing that has been causing the slowdown is that. PWR's own Luigi Primo has become a legitimate sensation. 
Oh, yeah, yeah Luigi I'm, Primo, born from... He, he's all over the internet. He's doing amazing stuff, can like you tell rolling us a, around while spinning a pizza. Yeah, can you, you tell us a little Japan. bit about him? Because I'm I'm on the Facebook for Slam Portal, which you can find at facebook.com slash Slam Portal. And the, the poster here is this really good-looking guy. Kind of looks like Frank Zappa. He's wearing what looks to be an apron, and it says, hashtag Luigi, Luigi Primo. Yeah. And I'm fascinated to know more about this character's storyline so he was a pizza man slash wrestler in his initial instantiation uh he was constantly accused of serving pizza with bolts and bolts and screws on it um (laughs) which allegations he denied um but then through eldritch magic he summoned a son named pasta man who was a boy made out of spaghetti um and that helped him sort of become a better guy and stop putting nuts and screws on pizza. But that was like, that was legitimately like, that was like 2014. So for the majority of the Primo run, he has been a guy whose whole thing is that he's the best wrestler and he makes the best pizza. And he's gotten increasingly good at tossing a pizza dough while wrestling to the point where now he was recently flown out to Japan and he's allowed to sort of run the pizza man gimmick, even in like Japanese wrestling promotions where he like, you know, he'll like toss the pizza, like punch a guy, catch the pizza on its way down uh, the new spot that he's been doing that is fucking psychotic to me is he'll get put like in an ankle lock on his back and continue tossing the pizza while he's in the submission hold and then <laughs> kick them out of it, pop the pizza up, get up and catch it and continue spinning it. And like it's shit like that. And so across promotions, his whole thing is that he makes the best pizza. Everyone loves pizza. Generally, some bad guy will come out and be like, pizza sucks. You suck. Fuck you. They wrestle. And then someone wins. Um, but he's a, you know, he's a great, uh, a great performer. And like many of us, Slight, like behind the scenes, like many of us, uh, has some background in making uh, noisy, harsh, uh, aggressive music, uh, which I think all <laughs> everyone on this podcast and, and our friend Luigi all have, have in common. Um, also known as a guest on my podcast, Game Boys, for coming on and uh, coming on for one reason, one reason only, which is to make Griffin angry. Uh, thing that he, that he How does he make at. Griffin angry with contrarian gaming takes? No, by just like sort of refusing to engage with him and continuing to like do his own weird thing, no matter how much Griffin okay. tries to make the show be about something. <laughs> is he all? Is he? Is he? Does he continue to be in character on the show? We does go, he we keep we talking about? Is there a ways. pizza video game? That I mean, when, Luigi, when Luigi Primo, the real man, Luigi Primo, pizza wrestler, comes on, it's Luigi Primo for sure. Of course. Um, you know, so that's that's what happens with that. Occasionally we'll also get a similar man in Chris on, but that's a different a different guy doing a different thing. Does he ever involve sauce in the matches? It has come up in I think a couple of hardcore matches he's done. Also hardcore. I mm. think technically his finishing sequence involves kneading the dough, adding the sauce, topping the pizza are like the three moves that I believe are uh a trapezius lock, um, a frog splash, and then no a frog splash. The topping. What is the sauce thing? I think the sauce thing is a leg drop, <laughs> and then sometimes if it's a long match, then he cuts the pizza with a pizza cutter, which is just a, <laughs> a cutter. Um, and so yeah, it, it's great, and he's he's been killing it. But the thing with that is that he is a, a majorly core part of Party World Wrestling in particular. Um, and so because of that, uh, and because Christopher, Chris Monica is Luigi Primo's manager and Chris Monica is also the, the, uh, general manager of Party World Wrestling, uh, there hasn't been a Party World Wrestling show, uh, during his ascent to stardom, but hopefully there will be some soon. Cause basically there were two that went really well. And then Primo went mega viral and has become like an absolute road dog. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then you know uh from there uh has you know uh it's been a little bit trickier but hopefully he and chris will be back and we'll be able to put on a show hopefully in like may or june which would be, mm-hmm. would be great it's very interesting that performance art gets looked at as something that's, you know, goofy or like only in the realms of snooty elite academia. But really, wrestling is the most popular form of performance art. I know that sounds pretentious, but I don't really know another way to describe it. It's not really theater. It's kind of theater, but it's there. There's more to it than that. There's like a sort of like a physical or like a, a another component to it. That ascends it to the level of beyond theater and into the realm of uh, what I would say, similar to something like Chris Burden, like doing his danger pieces or like Carolee Schneeman or someone like it's, that. It's interesting, right? Because there's two there's two things about it that I think distinguish from theater in, in really meaningful ways. One is obviously like the physicality thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you're saying, that does put into like performance art space where like the body becomes like the canvas of the work and stuff. And, and the story is told just like purely physically. But... The second part that I think you don't think about as much is that like the crowd has a much bigger job in wrestling than in theater. Like in mm-hmm. you don't go to see like Harold Pinter's betrayal. And then like when the sad wife comes on, the whole crowd's like, yeah, yeah <laughs> that, that would be go. cool. I think that would be awesome. Yo, oh, my God. Yeah. Like fucking Pinter, Pinter. Like that doesn't happen. Right. Like, but the crowd does do that for wrestling. And that adds mm-hmm. and creates the ambiance of the thing. Like. A lot of great wrestling, ma- like really great wrestling matches, you can basically know what's happening with your eyes closed because the audience mm-hmm. is giving you the shape of the show and of the match just by their reactions and their and their cheers and their tones and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know really, what that kind of reminds me of theatrically is like Brechtian epic theater. Yeah, that's, you know, I think where the, the audience thing. is a component. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say Brecht is like the closest thing because, and to, and to go back to the the unfortunate injury at the Slam Portal show, like there's the there it it's the the creation of the show is happening live in this way that makes it very clear that it is being made and is happening and the pieces are all there and mobile and and engaged so it's not like so it's like with brecht right where like you know they make it look like a stage so that you for consider the conditions of labor under which the play is produced yeah um it's the same thing with wrestling and like you, you can, you can lampshade that with kayfabe as much as you want, but at a certain point, like that is still the thing that's happening. Like everything is there. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, PWR obviously is a little different in the sense that like we build sets and have like huge prop things and even like, you know, puppets and shit. But like, even that still hues pretty closely to this idea that like, it's, a, it's it constantly letting you know that it is a show, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't, again, just like use Pinter as an example, just because I've been reading lately. Like, you don't have in the middle of a play a guy come out. Like, like let's say Death of a Salesman, right? There's not a part where, like, Willie Loman, like, sadly leaves the stage. And then a guy comes out and goes, like, are you ready for some more Loman? He'll be back in 15 <laughs> minutes. Grab a drink and some popcorn. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, but that happens at wrestling shows. And that, so it's this weird balance where while the thing is happening, you're in it. But then there's all this artifice that is, like, very obviously artifice that, like, alerts you alerts you to its presence like by by default um the, which is not to say that's not real because it's 100 real and pug and head is mm. a real boy and, and primo is a real pizza chef etc etc et but, but yeah it's also a it's not just the, it's a sport too because what i think is the like primary tension in sports and sports narratives is it's someone always fighting against the the possibility of injury yes you know that's that's sort of what 
to me, like what makes sports tense and what really clicks to me about sports, like I, I didn't watch it for years. And then I started watching Dorktown essays on like, you know, oh, John yeah. Boyce essays. And what really clicked for me is, man, these guys could get injured at any time. And that could be like a career ending thing. So it like when you hear about a guy like Ichiro Suzuki who never got injured, it's a, like think about how miraculous it is. Or, you know, think about the guy at, at your wrestling match who was injured, you know, and he's doing this for the love of the game. You know, the, his stake in this is his ability to continue doing this. And so there's like and, and obviously that that motif gets called back to in like movies like Aronofsky's The Wrestler, which I love very much. I don't like Aronofsky movies in general, but I like that what? one. But um. Well, we'll have to go into that on the bonus. I mean, yeah, I, I'm kind of with Steve on this. I like Aronofsky for the most part. Yeah. Actually, you're right. What, what what movies do I really not like of his? Is it Requiem uh, for a Dream? Do you just not like Requiem for a Dream? I, I'm sure I probably wouldn't like The Whale if I saw it. I haven't seen The Whale. Yeah, the whale I didn't. Is so I didn't like Noah because every. Oh, I love Noah, but that's, I kind of yeah, love Noah, Noah just because it was like. Good. It's so funny for someone to be like taking the Bible. And putting our foot on the fucking gas. Yeah, also, yeah. the amount that it took from like the Book of Enoch and the other fun apocrypha and just stuck in there in direct defiance of the Council of Nicaea and the rulings of the Catholic Church. We love that. Yeah, sure. Fuck uh, those Nicaea guys. But um, but yeah, I like Aronofsky aside from Requiem for a Dream. And The Whale also was annoying because The Whale, Brendan Fraser and The Whale is like incredible, but it's all in service of like a thing that doesn't really understand what would be moving about it. Yeah. Um, and so it ends up sucking ass, but his performance is fucking out of control. He's so uh, good yeah. in that movie. Brandon Fraser is a very good actor. We're all glad that he came back. Even though now the 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 tone around him is like treating him like a, a make a wish kid or there's some sort of or like a three legged dog yeah, or something. You can't like, be mean to him. Yeah. yeah. But there was a weird moment on the Golden Globes edition of the Hollywood Reporter Actors Roundtable, and I like to watch those roundtable things because occasionally you get some really good craft insights on stuff. Yeah. Um where it like him and a uh, Kwan, the the guy from uh, from everything we're all at once, yeah. <clears throat> um, talked about how they saw each other in the parking lot and they were like, "Wow, we're still here." And then they both cried. Everyone at the table cried, and it was like, "Okay, like it's cool that they're back and that's very sweet, but like it does have that three legged dog vibe of like they're still like guys doing a job." Like, yeah, it's also like these were people who were abused and mistreated by Hollywood. And now their stories is that Hollywood has reaccepted them, and that is like the the moment of glory. So and Hollywood sort is of like, like we're a, so good for reaccepting these people. Yeah. it was it's good that we did everything. We it, did. it sort of feels like the FBI saying Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. You yep. know, there's this sort of you you guys are the one you're the ones who 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 sexually assaulted Brendan Fraser, and you're the ones who wouldn't give roles to Asians. So that's why they were Man, blacklisted the from the that. industry for as many years. The, the FBI, FBI did, did that. that. That was the FBI. Um, <laughs> Federal body inspector, baby. Yeah, yeah. That's what they 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 that's were all over the whale. Down Brendan Fraser's door. I'm bailing on this bit right now. Actually, why? <laughs> this is my kind of bit. That's I just don't exactly think. I just think the next. I think the next steps are not places that we need to get to. Um, I do. I do. It is funny to imagine. Actually, it's not. Never. I'm nope. So I'm bailing. <laughs> we're so gonna, I was we're bailing and I'm committing to it. Um, but I, I think that's also like in terms of the exploitation of the human body, too. That's a big thing with wrestling, of course, uh, because of uh, uh, mismanagement, most famously and egregiously. Owen Hart died yeah. in terms of sacrificing someone's body for <laughs> for this uh, uh, sort of 
in my mind, in wrestler, in the mind of a wrestler, there there is this sort of almost a chivalrous sense of nobility. This almost chaotic sense of uh, like we are imagining this fantasy that we fight against, so that we might make our lives more meaningful and have more of a sense of story-like uh, epicness. And yeah. you know, there's it's romantic in that. Way. I don't want to pull back the curtain too hard, but one thing that was really moving about when that guy got hurt at the show was how both kind he was to the other guy in the match um, and how much the other guy in the match, like really like was like making sure he was okay and figuring out what went wrong. And like, there was this real like honor among thieves, like, like you're (laughs) saying, and like this idea that neither one wanted to be responsible for the other, like losing their access to this thing that is like their way of like raging against the, the, the constant of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like a very moving sort of thing to me. Um, while I was like smoking cigarettes and grabbing ice bags, I, I found that yeah. to be a very compelling sort of like dramatic element of of this thing where there was this real like, you know, it wasn't like, damn, I can't believe I couldn't do that. It was like, hey man, are you okay? Like you didn't fuck up. That's you're, you know, this isn't on you. And the guy who was the other guy was like, hey man, I'm sorry that like you're in this position. Let me help you. I'll carry you to your car. Like I'll call your whoever. And da 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 da. And there was a real, like, yeah, like, nobility among thieves or, like, honor among thieves kind of thing to it that, mm-hmm. that I found to be I, very sort of, like, whoa. It's like, uh, I'm sure you've watched Paris is Burning. Oh, yeah. Uh, and wrestling has obviously has been compared to drag many times. Uh, that's that's sort of a well-worn comparison. But I, I like it in Paris is Burning. Uh, one of the queens is describing it. It's a small fame, but it's a fame nonetheless. Sort of that. Yeah. And, you know, fame is sort of deliberated on and is sort of a, has a lot of negative ideas attached to it. But I think fame in some way as the the glorification of an ego greater than yourself, at least in sort of like a controlled fantasy setting like wrestling or like drag. I think that's something that people need. They need to believe that they're sort of special yeah, in well, that certain way. Know. As the as people love to remind us, there's a terrible lack of young male role models, right? <laughs> and and I think people putting themselves into the world as like larger than life figures who aren't, you know, Andrew Tate or whatever, yeah. like does do something good. And so fame does have the double edged sword, but those small fames you're talking about kind of are where those like more appealing to a like a more core resonance like, like an ego larger than yourself like that comes from those small fans like at the larger levels mm-hmm. of fame it becomes a lot more vacuous but at that small level i think that you do kind of resonate directly to the people who give mm-hmm. a shit and who would be affected by the shit that you do yeah um and i think that's pretty neat i especially like in similar with dragon how you the, the type of crowd that pwr attracts these are people that wouldn't have outlets for that fame anywhere else or outlets for that sort of healthy adulation of ego within a community. Yeah. Well, you know, an interesting tie in that I've been thinking of as we're discussing this is the show, righteous gemstones, which, um, <laughs> cause you know, the, the guy that runs the mega church and righteous gemstones in his history, he was in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's like, there's a, a similarity between the performance of a, of a whole, production of a mega church which can involve physical aspects um generally they're not fighting but you might be people might be falling down 
Uh, well, people might or be you're doing the Stations of the Cross. You're doing like violent shit. Right. You're doing false the, violence or something. The, uh, the audience is very much a part of that whole production. So there's like a lot of similarities. And when you're talking about this, you know, belief and your ego, it's that I think that show um, has the it doesn't like make draw those comparisons out directly. It's just hints at them because it's it's in his past. But as we're discussing this, it's making me think of like another sort of huge performance art that maybe even some fans of wrestling would go to as well i don't i mean i don't know what makes up the wrestling demographic in general well, i don't think ours necessarily but the, no, the, the broader not, one for but, sure um yeah mega churches are are, are a, a strange thing they have some in my town and they have like like a lot of free resources that make it attractive for people with kids. And we're like, maybe we should go to the mega church. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, we, I was, I did a video about this for work sometime kind of recently that like the mega churches have seen the deterioration of community space and been like, what if we make it so that every single community space brings people into our weird flock? Exactly. That's what they do. So they make like uh like a little school, they make like a cafe, they have different activities, they have a space for pe parents to bring their kids and on a snowy day or something, and then when you're there, they they try to get you. Some of the huge I ones think... in Texas have like movie theaters and like sports complexes and like the whole like bowling alleys, like the whole fucking deal, and then they'll just yeah. sneak in and be like, hey, nice spare you picked up. You know who else has picked someone up? Many people have been picked up by the love of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then, like that's how they get you like that's a very and it is very wrestling-y in the sense that like um obviously like the audience tricks themselves into believing the thing right like like you're you know whatever like joel osteen or whatever is not like it is is not like a divine man in the way that, that the church sort of dictat carries him to be or whatever like positions him to be and has like no particular insights, but the audience just like buys the shtick and tricks themselves into being like, "This is a real guy who is as is what he's telling us he is." So we, you know, if and then everything follows from there in much the same way that like, you know, Hulk Hogan coming out and being like, "I'm an American hero, boys, girls, take your vitamins." Like, then people buy to that shtick. You know, they don't. Mm -hmm. They don't. It doesn't. They're not aware that he like fucks Bubba the Love Sponge's wife. Like <laughs> that, that that doesn't play into it or whatever because they they buy the character and the characters they they follow. And the same with Joel yeah. Osteen, right? Like that's why Joel Osteen can have these huge controversies about like being a huge asshole and still run a mega church because they don't care about Joel Osteen the guy. They care about Joel Osteen the character. Yeah, I think that's um I think what it comes down to or what I what I think it is or it all boils down to in my mind if I can oversimplify this is magic. Yeah. It's all about magic. And, you know, magic in the, like, uh, uh, Aleister Crowley sense of the word, where it's, like, it, it's not so CK. much, like, doing spells. Yeah, yeah. It's about, it's a, more of a language virus, essentially, you, where you sort of repeat something until uh, you have convinced yourself something that is impossible or can't be done actually is real. Yeah, yeah. I believe in the, in the lexicon of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, this is known as thaumaturgy. Very nice Salmaturgy. word. Very nice word. A word that is present in the works of Gene Wolfe, which we <laughs> may discuss for five minutes. Or we'll postpone that adventure to a different time where I come on, because every time I try to come on, we think of 500 things to talk about. Um, we'll uh, find out. What, what we were originally going to have you on, uh, besides this wrestling preamble, that I was glad to say, is uh, 
You went to a very interesting uh, festival yeah, recently baby. in Texas. So I so okay, I gotta preface this with um there are many ways in which this is going to be a letdown. Uh <laughs> and however much you're let down by this, it's way less than I was let down by it. But <laughs> I'll walk you through what happened. So yeah. two of my very good close friends had birthdays in December during the COVID holiday peak. Um, and we couldn't really do what we wanted to do for their birthdays. And so we decided to get a cabin uh, and just like go out and do uh, boys, boys weekend of the cabin or whatever. Yeah, sure. Boys club, and we yeah. discovered that uh, the Texas testicle festival uh, was happening just outside of Fredericksburg, Texas. And so we decided to get a cabin <laughs> about 20 minutes out so that we could go to the Texas testicle festival. And when we got there, we noticed two things immediately. One, an incredible sign that said Saturday, testicles, Sunday, grape stomp. Um, which, which, like, <laughs> that is a very good look. Yeah, I got it. No, it, it, is, it is my phone background now. Um, <laughs> and grape stomp is yeah. what you do after the testicle. Because it sounds like they're stomping on the testicles yeah, the to leftovers. produce the testicle wine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that it was like, we were driving up there, and my friend Zeke was like, this is going to go one of two ways. Uh Either it's going to be like a, a nasty, like weird, dirty redneck cowboy thing where everyone's like, "You gotta try the damn balls." Yeah, which is what I not tried the balls yet. Oh, you're you're a little bitch if you don't try the balls. Here. Yeah, which is that was the vibe I was hoping for. Yeah. The alternative was that it uh it would be sort of like a uh, a weird hobbyist thing where you get a lot of like. Like foodie weirdos, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a but lot of uh, up, Michael Pollan types. It ended up being at a bar next to the only Starbucks in like weird hill country, Texas. Um, <laughs> an immediate warning that maybe this wouldn't be as cool as we'd hoped. Oh no! Um, and we got there, uh, and there were a lot of goats, and we were like, "Are these the goats whose testicles? Like, is why are these goats? Do you get here? to meet the goats whose testicles you're eating." <laughs> Unfortunately, when I asked, it turned out, no, they just also had some goats there. They were like, okay, this is for the kids who come to the testicle festival to do something while their parents eat calf fries. Um, so we went to the bar, we ordered calf fries. Um, but the problem was that, uh, and we can get to this later, a part of the trip that we wanted to do was a uh, trimasculine. Um, and we wanted to make sure we had a sufficient amount of daylight for that. So we had a hard yeah. out from the testicle festival at two 30. Um, so we put in our order and we sat down and then they just never gave us the testicles. We sat there for an hour and a half, watched many weird old people talk very loudly on their phones. Um, <laughs> and then just never received our testicles. I watched old people eat testicles and that was rough. That was pretty, like, was it like a Denethor situation where they, like, massaging them in their mouths like a cherry tomato? Yeah, or kind was of. It? It, it seemed like they required jaw strength that these people had lost in, like, the, like, around 9-11. Okay, Lux, yeah. this, is, this seems to me like a, a story where you're letting the truth get in the way. So let's, <laughs> let's start over and call this Fear and Loathing at the Testicle Festival. Right, okay, you're so doing mes mescaline at the testicle you're festival. You're on mescaline at the testicle festival. We get there, and the two things about mescaline are it makes light really bright and comforting, and the vibes are good, baby. Um, real euphoria type stuff. I learned that it has a lot of shared traits with MDMA and has like similar chemical makeup, which makes sense wow. to me. 
in retrospect. That's, that's funny. So Aldous um, Huxley would have been very into drum and bass is what you're saying. I mean, I think we already kind of knew that, but yeah. this just confirms. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we get there and we're all like grooving and we pet these nice goats. We get in line and we get the calf fries, $22 for the testicle special with calf fries. Uh, and they're, uh, they're like very salted and very chewy and require like really biting in. <laughs> and obviously if you're doing like hallucinogens, like the textural element of a food is like the forefront thing, like flavors get con- like, at least for me, if I'm tripping and I eat something with flavor, I get confused. Like regardless of how good the flavor is, my first emotional reaction is confusion. Cause I just like don't know where to put the feeling of like old Bay seasoning. <laughs> um, and so I fucking got so, your old bay hunt on those testicles. Yeah, I'm imagining the Baltimore testicle festival. I should have brought. Old I honestly, oh yeah. So I did bring my uh, my old bay with me, which I did, which I added because <laughs> you are from the Maryland area. I'm from DC, the the, the district of. Um, shouts out to to uh, da, 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 da high school on Davenport Street and growing up on New Hampshire Ave. But um, uh, and my parents live in near DC now. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so we added the old bay, loved it. We love, we love old bay. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing with the testicles is that their main trait was the textural chewiness. And I think that's true even beyond me being on drugs, uh, at fear and loathing at the testicle festival. And it was just like chewing it. And then the hard part, um, was swallowing it, yeah. uh, which, cause you had to really like force it down. So like these rubbery spheres that you're cutting up. Like if you ever, um, have you ever overcooked like fish balls from like an Asian market? I've overcooked no. shrimp. It's the same kind of thing, I think. I think that's probably close. Yeah. So where it gets like really like dense. Yeah. Um, and so it was like that. And so, you know, then we just had to get 55 Lone Stars to try to swallow these things. And it was a real struggle <laughs> to sort of drown them down to lubricate the passage of the testicle. But once it was done... Uh, it was completed, and then uh, we had to go back to the cabin where uh, Zeke threw up and met a cat, and that's yeah. true. <laughs> Did you see the um, testicle eating competition? So the, there wasn't, there was one, and we did see them go, and it was bad to watch because <laughs> the hot dog or even like an oyster. So eating competitions, I've seen like hot dog, oyster, chicken wing. There's like technique and speed things that you can do mm-hmm. to sort of do it. And there's a degree to which there's a craft there with testicles. It's just sort of like who can masticate fast enough to make them swallowable. Ugh. And that's rough. Visually, <laughs> You don't like the sound of chewing testicles all in unison. Yeah, were they yeah. blasting country music? Were they blasting Jason Aldean? They were blasting they were like the, the weird soft modern country music. Oh no. Like, I'm going to the beach and my girl in the... I, I don't know what that even sounds but like it, now. It, yeah, it, it'll just, it's not like... Yeah, it's just sort of like a like a, a pretty easygoing guitar and someone's being like, I've owned a tractor and had three wives and I've lived more than 15 old men's mm-hmm. lives. I've seen a whole lot out <laughs> on the plains and I can't wait for them Texas rains. Then like, yeah, they were playing that at Target the other day. It's something about my favorite street over and over again. Yeah, that's that that's that's the tone. Target is, is the tone. Also, oh my God, the fest, one of the funniest things of the Tesco Festival, uh, both Fear and Loathing and The Real Thing That Happened edition, Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that there was a woman doing, trying to get people to sign up for Windows from a company called Renewal by Anderson, <laughs> and 
it's Hill Country, Texas. So everyone who was there either like is the kind of person who builds their own shit, um, or is like someone who comes there like on the weekends only and is like a rich, crazy person. And so this person was having no luck, and she was just like trying everything in her bag to get anyone to look away from their testicles and at her little stand. And it was brutal to just watch like <laughs> this person trying so hard to make one sale and like the least sale friendly possible situation. Do you want your windows renewed? Uh, is, does this have anything to do with testicles, ma'am? No. Uh, okay, I'm not interested. I'm not. I'm not I can't. I can't. I can't yeah, count like Hank, that. a bunch of Hank Hills being like, I make my own damn windows. Yeah. yeah. We also, after the Testicle Festival. I sell testicles and testicle accessories. So the most striking thing with the Testicle Festival, beyond the actual testicles, is was seeing like a bunch of large old Texan people wearing shirts that said, everything's bigger in Texas, Testicle Festival 2022. Like people who had come back oh, from, yeah. who like, like return people. Who like for were almost universally like now obviously I could take them in a fight because they're like old and, and weak, but yeah. who like definitely in their prime could have absolutely shit housed me and all my friends, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um just like being like testicle festival fans and just like having a nice time. And those guys were fascinating. Uh did they just like the the taste and texture of testicles? They're they're literal tech uh, testicle fans, or do you think they're attracted to the weirdness and specificity of the festival? I feel like their vibe was testicle fans. So okay. they're legitimate testicle fans. They weren't irony testicle fans. Yeah. Like you coming, yeah, like, coming over there. <laughs> like, no, uh, like us. Um, so my friend Dizzy, and this is her story to tell really, but y'all don't, y'all don't know Dizzy. So uh, sorry, dude. Um, when she was eight, I believe uh, she had some family that's like Texas rancher people. And they were like, well, you're old enough now. You gotta eat it. You gotta eat a bull testicle. Gotta like, eat a ball. Gotta, you gotta do it. Um, and she was like, "I don't like. I don't understand why I have to do this." And they were like, "It's just the thing you gotta do. It's what you have to do. It's like communion. You know, yeah. you gotta and take then, your first communion. Gotta eat your first ball." And she did it. And I feel like that's like that thing of like you gotta eat a ball at least once in your life mm-hmm. is like a thing that is just like part of the world uh, in parts of Texas that I don't frequent. Sorry, my dog's howling at uh, at a local fire truck. Is wow. there also a train? Yeah, Diego's really sounded like nice. I thought that was like a, a airplane crash. Yeah, nice. Oh, he's going crazy. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, it's your it's your it's your, your testicle right. It's your it's your ball mitzvah. Yeah, as they it's your debutante ball. Are you sure he's not just uh, howling because you said testicle so many times? He realized he doesn't have any anymore. He's yeah, he's sad that I castrated him. Yeah, uh, that's that's why. Call I'm me evil. Fidel Castrate. Did you eat them? I I did not eat my dog's balls. No, I no. asked I asked Cass if we could eat noodles, uh, noodles <laughs> balls, and she said no. Do they make like, the balls into noodles? Do they make noodle balls? We could have, maybe. Especially his. It's his damn name. <laughs> it would have been so easy. I feel like the nominative determinism would have made the process easier. Yeah, you just put it into a meat grinder and they come out all spaghetti-like. Put them into a meat grinder and then you just run them through your pasta maker with eggs and flour. Mm. And then and then you got a little ravioli base. Yeah, yeah, you, you have you a kitchen mixer. You can do all of these things with all the different attachments. They're really great. Go to Target.com <laughs> and get a KitchenAid mixer. There's been yeah. one. Okay, so this is a total tangent, but Cass and I have been watching uh, Hell's Kitchen before bed because I love 
Uh, both of us really love the this aspect of it where like the people on the show are wildly delusional, both about their own ability and the things that literally happened on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, like a thing, there'll be an episode where we'll watch someone fuck up like eight times. And afterwards they'll be like, well, I shouldn't be eliminated. I only made one mistake. And it's like, there's a video of you fucking up eight times. And you're like, they're not hidden cameras. Like, you know, this is being recorded. Um, but that's, that, that is not the, the point. The point is that every season there is one challenge they win where the prize is a bunch of Vitamixes. And they go fucking bananas. There, there, are, there are other challenges where it's like you're getting flown to a private spa in Palm Springs and going to the best restaurant on Earth. And they're like, woo. And then there's one with like, yeah. and this time you get a Vitamix. And they're like, fucking yes, yes. Like pulling their. Do you like, know ripping. what these blenders are? These are the blenders. These are the best blenders. Yeah. And it's so, I look forward to that episode every season because there's something really dissonant to me about how good all the other prizes. I mean, if you're someone who cooks a lot of time, I'm sure the Vitamix makes a big difference in your life. But mm-hmm. as someone who, like, you know, I cook regularly, but I'm not, like, a guy who cooks, like, high you know, I'm no, I'm no Steven. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I don't use a, a blender very often. I mean, I, I don't cook everything, you know, and there's a lot of things. I'm not a well-rounded chef, so I never need a blender. Yeah, but you cook some, you cook some real stuff. I've seen the posts and discussed them with you. <laughs> Um, whereas, yeah. like, for breakfast today, I made Tamago Gohan, which is hot rice and one egg. Well, last night, I, I've been telling everyone I invented a new dish where I fried an egg and then I put some hot sauce on there. And I don't think anyone's ever done that yeah, before. Yeah, no one's made a hot egg before. <laughs> yeah, no, you're an innovator, man. Yeah, um, you want some, hey, do you want your hot eggs? Is what you, is what you say to people. <laughs> people come by your house and they go, hey, we're having hot eggs. Yeah. And then people turn around and walk right back out the door and say, I hate that. That's a terrible time to describe food. Um, but yeah, to, so to me, like, the Vitamix seems, like, so trivial as, like, a prize. Um, but to these people, it's, like, so incredible. And, like, mm-hmm. it rules. It's it's very, wow. a, it's a funny and B, interesting to, like, sort of engage this idea of, like, perspective is that different. That, like, it is a $600 blender, so. Yeah, I'm sure it's great for being a blender. Uh, think of the smoothies. Like I never, my I, I drink this powder now, this protein powder, so I get enough protein and not too much fat on my diet. Uh, and I'm stirring it up with a spoon like an idiot. And it's always like I'm drinking like chunky powdery water. If I had one of these six hundred dollar blenders, I bet it would be like smooth and delicious, be perfectly blended. Do you do you think the producers gas them up about the Vitamix? Because I bet Vitamix is a like a big sponsor for Hell's Kitchen, so they're like. Yeah, we don't care about the other ones, but you, you're gonna have to go fucking ape shit over these goddamn blenders, okay? I, I so we're not paying first... you for the season unless you go absolutely fucking just balls to the wall blend of fucking they get nuts. Them all drunk before the Vitamix episode. <laughs> yeah, they give them all blow. Yeah. At They're... first, I thought that was the case. Like I truly did. I don't anymore because the Vitamix clip is about ninety <laughs> seconds per season, and so it just really seems like every single one of them is sincerely like turnt as fuck about having a Vitamix. Yeah. Um, it's like the but, Nintendo 64 video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just one of those, like, it's like, if, if I were a reality show and, like, someone gave me, like, a big sword is, like, how they react to the Vitamix. Like, this is the coolest thing I could possibly own! Uh, f- yeah, if someone gave me a functional version of the gut sword that I couldn't even lift, I would be pretty happy. Yeah, or if they gave me an astrophotography telescope, but that's work that costs more. Oh than yeah, I would immediately go to a major city and and try to find people naked. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> That's the best use of an astrophotography telescope. Yeah, <laughs> if I get a really powerful telescope, I'm gonna try to find people undressing in their there apartment buildings. I would no, just take you're just gonna Mars, get rear windowed. But... <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, that's true. If you did it that way, you would for sure see a murder and get caught up in a thing that you would have a hard time getting out of. Oh, no, Jimmy Stewart. I was looking through my window and I saw a guy sucking another guy's dick. Oh, no, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> that's oh, what weird window is about. Oh, he no. just keeps seeing gay sex <laughs> out of his window. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's like, oh, fuck, that's pretty good. I'm trying to rededicate to shooting more shorts this year. That's a pretty good. I might steal that idea because doing a rear window. <laughs> oh, Jimmy no, Stewart. he's going inside his rear window again. Oh, gee, he's opening, his, he's opening the rim of his asshole like Goatsy. Oh, no, I better vote for the Republican Party again. <laughs> I was looking. Jimmy Stewart was like a hardcore Republican. I didn't oh, yeah. know that about him yeah, yeah. until he loved days. war. Um, <laughs> didn't loves- he also was? Didn't he also help directly with the attempt to steal an alleged Yeti's paw from <laughs> from, from Tibet? I think it was him. There was this guy. We're stealing a goddamn Yeti's paw. There's, there's this, too much, there's too much was, gay there's, sex going on, and we need the magic of the Yeti to stop the gays. I, I should double check this. Uh, there's a book called, there's a Con Dickey book that explains this better. I'm going to assume that I'm right, and if I'm wrong, like someone can email me about it, but I think it's Jimmy Stewart. There was this guy who got hired by a rich dude to get this alleged Yeti's hand that was at a, a temple in, in Nepal, um, and eventually they stole it and smuggled it into India. And the handoff was to Jimmy Stewart and his wife flying to England from India uh, because they were friends with the rich guy. (laughs) Um, And they hid it in his wife's lingerie thing. And then the lingerie thing was lost in the airport. And they're like, oh, no. They're going to find his stolen hand, which, by the the way. The Yeti's paw, it's not, I don't have your money here. It's a Bill's house. (laughs) Also, the Yeti's paw, by the way, ended up being just a human hand that was like, Weird, but of course, well, it's in a magical temple. It's a Yeti's paw, but as soon as you take it out, it becomes just a human hand. So there's this human hand in Jimmy Stewart's wife's lingerie bag. And then the British authorities came to their house with the bag and they were like, is this your bag? And she was like, uh, yes. They're like, well, we didn't check it because we never look in a woman's underwear bag. So here you go. And they just gave it to her and so nothing went wrong. There you go. That's that's how you should smuggle. Lux, I got some more questions about your your mescaline and Fredericksburg. Uh, did you go uh, anywhere else after the Testicle Festival? Maybe the National Museum of the Pacific War or anything else in we Fredericksburg? didn't go there. We did go to a small... I think it's a technically municipality or it's just a... Fred, I don't know what it is. We went to a place called Tombstone, which Ooh. was two buildings. One that had a bunch of horny cowboy cartoons in it and one that was a bar. Um... And there was Sounds like, like my kind of town. Dude, you would have loved it. Alex, I was this close to... If I, if I weren't on a meaningful amount of drugs such that I didn't want to use my phone to take photographs, <laughs> yeah. um, I, there was a thing I wanted to take a picture of to send to you because it was, a, it was a, a cartoon of two cowboys sitting at a bar. It's over the shoulder from behind a stripper looking at the cowboys. And one of the cowboys is just saying, I got two things on my mind, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, which is a great nasty little stripper <laughs> joke. I thought you would enjoy you the pure go. Texas cartoonery of that one. Who um, are the big Texas cartoon men? All I can think of is Berkeley Brethren from Bloom County. I have no idea, but it was just it's one guy. It's just one guy who hates Joe Biden, loves Infowars. <laughs> I learned from the refrigerator in the back because I, yes. I said I could I said I could grab a beer from back there. So I'm tripping on I'm tripping on drugs. And I go to the back of this place and there's just like Joe Biden is the devil, like 
masks are for masks are for slaves <laughs> like InfoWars posters and then a fridge full of Lone Stars and I was like well of I guess course. I'll take a Lone Star and put a couple bucks in the tip jar um and then outside were just like six old dudes like smoking cigarettes and being like they were the kind of guys who when they asked where Kyle and I were from we were like we, oh we live in Austin now and they were like ah so how, what, how are you enjoying being in Texas <laughs> uh, that's that's cool though that you have the to vibe. that's i mean you got to give them like i feel like all austinites who are self-aware are like i know i know yeah, but that, that is basically the reaction we had but tombstone was tight those guys are really fun it was very funny to like be coming up on mescaline and being like i love everyone i think it's great however i do have some issues with the politics of these kind of men <laughs> <laughs> Are you telling to me the Brandon haters? You're not. You're not down with the Brandon haters. No, I. I, I don't know how I would deal uh, with that sort of thing. I feel like I'm. I'm more fearful. I would Im- immediately get into a Larry David situation where I started like, oh, so you don't like Brandon, huh? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe don't you don't like. like yeah, yeah, I don't like would, Brandon I mean, either. Larry I'm not just, a huge Brandon. He would fan. just immediately try to fit in, right? He would be like, I, yeah. I, I hate Brandon. Yeah, but then he would reveal somehow something would be revealed where he actually likes Brandon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, poor Larry David likes Brandon. Um, <laughs> man, Larry, who was I talking to? Oh my god, it was the so at the RPG, the game that I actually well, eventually have to leave to go to. Um, someone is playing like a summoner character, like a, and playing them like a Pokemon master. Mm-hmm. And the first summon they made was a rat sized a dog-sized rat with a human face and then decided to give it Larry David's face. <laughs> um, and its job and its job was to go to restaurants to find out if this guy we were looking for was there. And I pointed out to the group that I don't think you could design a more not welcome in a restaurant thing than a dog-sized rat <laughs> with the face of the famously worst customer who's ever lived or gone to a restaurant. Yeah. It's like hard to imagine because imagine you're running a restaurant, a dog-sized rat with Larry David's face comes up and is like, "Hey, have you seen this guy?" I'm just, I'm just asking a couple questions. I'm not going to eat anything or tip, <laughs> but I do want to know if you saw this well, guy. I, I don't know. In the fantasy universe you've created, are dog are dog rats are are giant dog rats popular? Are we hadn't established thing? that as a norm. Devin okay. just sort of came in swinging with that one. Maybe he's a trendsetter. Then maybe everyone is. Everyone in this fantasy yeah, world are going to have their dog rats we'll eventually. We'll find out in today's episode of Invisible Sun, which is such a complicated game. It's so exhausting. Invisible Sun. I, I, we need to get on to a tabletop RPG or something. Oh, yeah, I mean, That's Rory something said, I've always wanted to do. Rory said he'd play. I wonder if we could do something, uh, if the two of you are down, I can always run a digital game. We play with like, you two and Rory, and we can do something online. Mm, we can I record it and make it a thing. It. Yeah, make, yeah. It a, make it a thing. Well, let's save that for our business meeting episode. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have exclusively gonna have business another meeting business episodes. meeting episode. Um, but we have a little bit of time left, and Lux, I know you wanted to talk about Warhammer. Have you guys ever deep dove Warhammer 40k? No, I I know some of the more charming aspects of the universe, like how the orcs' technology is exclusively powered by their belief in their technology. Yes, even though it's like made of of. Uh, uh, like random pipes and p- planks of wood, it still works because they are psychically projecting their ability. I know it's like space fascism, dude. Like the humans are space fascists as yeah. well. And people and people love to think they're the good guys, which is very funny. Yeah, um, the orcs thing is great because it goes even beyond the technology to like, like 
The rules of the game are such that if an orc vehicle is painted red, it moves one square further than if it is not painted red, because red is the fastest color. Mm. Um, stealth orcs, <laughs> stealth orcs must be purple because no one's ever seen a purple orc. Um, things like that are are built into the the whole shit, which I love. But the thing that I've really latched onto, um, personally, is that uh, it is just such a they like can't help themselves but make everything the most brutal and Catholic thing possible. They have their own... I mentioned the Council of Nicaea earlier. In Warhammer 40k, in the lore, they have a Council of Nicaea where they all get together and decide if psychics are allowed. That's um, funny. They straight up pulled it from there. Obviously, it's sweet that all of the like Space Marine bases are giant space churches. <laughs> <laughs> and that some of their and that many of their mechs are churches with giant robot legs and cannons on top. Now I'm picturing two Brooklyn E girls converting to space fascism and be like, "It's actually really cool. I'm really getting in touch with my inner soul." That is like, that's there's a whole faction that's basically that. There's the Sisters of Battle. <laughs> the Brooklyn- the, the Red Scare. The, Red yeah, the Scare Sisters Red. of Battle are basically like the Red Scare ladies. That's the yeah. faction that if I were to play, I would play as. They like, yeah. there's a character, and this is why this, this game is so good, is that there's a character, like a named character named, named Sister Celestine, whose thing is that her faith in the Emperor is so great. I mean, well, for the, the important thing about the Sisters that's really good is they think that magic is evil, but they do magic all the time, but their magic isn't magic, it's miracles. <laughs> So like it's different. Right, it's different. It's, yeah, it's yeah, materially it's, different. it's materially yeah. and functionally identical. When they do it, it's miracles. Um, and when you do it, it's heresy and you must be killed. Um but there's this one sister Celestine who dies all the time, and every time she dies, her soul goes into what's called the warp, which is basically hell, and she has to climb a mountain of all of bones of everyone she's ever killed. And at the top is her own skeleton. <laughs> she has to avoid, and if she can climb past her own skeleton on the mountain of bones, she just comes back to life. <laughs> um, and that's just the way it goes, baby. Oh, the mountain and- of bones, of course. You have to climb the mountain of bones. It's so sick. And, like, they've started to understand how to play with how stupid and weird the world is in good ways. Like, they had a character die and be dead for 10,000 years and then come back to life and be like, I'm here to take up the Emperor's goals of the Imperium and changing the galaxy to form it to the human's greatest aspirations and looks around at how everything is and he's like, oh, you've really fucked this up in the past 10,000 years. Things have gotten really bad. And now he's like, is a demigod with space depression, like in the lore. And like, that's tight. Um, What I find, who, is there a primary writer of the Warhammer lore? There's Dan Abnett is a really big one. Uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky is a big one, which is very funny because he's won like a lot of major awards for other sci-fi stuff. So the fact that he keeps showing up and being like, yeah, you know, I just put out children of ruin and people love that book. And I like, got like an Eisner nomination for it. Now I'm going to like shit out a novel about like dark Eldar, like raping and pillaging their way across the galaxy for Warhammer 40 K's black library. Um, which is a very weird thing. Cause he definitely could just like not do that if he mm-hmm. wanted. Um, so it's those two. There's like a third guy who has a bunch of hyphens, and then there's also the guy who developed Arcane and like writes all the League of Legends lore. Is also a uh, a big Warhammer lore man. That's that's gonna be such a, a funny job, especially for something like League of Legends, where I'm sure half of it is like previs, 
here's a weird guy. He come come up with a story for him. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's Warhammer. It's just like. It truly just feels like they're like, anything goes as long as it sucks. Like, as long as the story you're telling <laughs> is about a situation that sucks, you're yeah. good, baby. Um, I find it very, yeah, it's it's very brutal and cynical outlook, which I think is, is funny, which defines it from other sort of like big fantasy gaming franchises like Magic the Gathering, which is sort of at times, even though it's dismalist, it's sort of goofy and hopeful, whereas Warhammer is... Uh, all pain, all suffering. This is terrible. Blood yep. for the blood god, skulls for the yeah. skull throne, baby. Yeah, it's it's so Warhammer Fantasy is funny because it's just like straight up satire of the fantasy genre in that exact way where it's like everyone thinks this is all whimsical and fun, but like it obviously would suck if there's just like magical guys fighting all the time. That seems like mm-hmm. a shitty world to live in. And then basically that came out, and then Margaret Thatcher just like kept fucking England to death. Um, and so then they were like, we're going to make a sci-fi game about how Margaret Thatcher fucked England to death. And so 40K is just like 80s England. Like, so it's just like the Falklands. You're you're constantly uh, reinvading the Falklands in Warhammer. Like, actually, yeah. Like, the, the idea, because like, it's like, it's a society with this, like, weird fascist tendency that used to be this, like, globally expanding empire that has since, like, lost a lot of its power. Um, they worship a dead guy on a golden throne who's, like, just kept alive through technology, which is basically the queen. Uh, no one knows how to make anything anymore to the degree that inventing things is illegal. It's illegal to, like, you can get killed for inventing. It's heresy. You can only discover things from the past. Um, so it's just very explicitly just Margaret Thatcher's England. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that because if you're going to, like, the event, dedicating, like, tens of thousands of pages of lore and, like, hundreds of thousands, like, millions of dollars of, like, model design and shit to just being, like, Margaret Thatcher sucks is, like, to me, one of the best things you could you could do with your time and money. Yeah, I, I think it's funny because it, it's funny that it comes out of England, too, because England, you usually associate it with this endless whimsy. But <laughs> they're like, especially all of that 2000 AD derived sci fi stuff is just like the most brutal, dismal, unwhimsical stuff imaginable. And uh, I think it's funny that the that the English go in these two extremes. They're either, you know, Paul McCartney or Garth Ennis or someone like that. Well, it's like Is Northern English- England's all like coal mines and rain and Southern yeah. England's all like pastures and meadows and shit. And so like Games Workshop is like, I think, a Manchester based company, or at least like that's where the people who started it came from. And so like they're all from the like part of England where everything <laughs> sucks all the time. And it's so- party time. Get your drugs out. Who yeah. wants to make love to a sad old man? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in Warhammer, the answer is everyone. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, a 10,000 year old corpse god. Um, And, like, yeah, it's, it's, it is very much like draw, 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 drawing on all of that. And then what they've done that makes it so fun is like filled in. So basically, like, they started 40K and they're like, 10,000 years ago, there was a big war called the Horus Heresy. Fucked everything up, made the emperor be dead. Everything's crazy. Um, the Emperor is a corpse now, he does magic, and we have to sacrifice a thousand psychics a day to keep him, like, fueling all of our magic engines. Um, and then, like, slowly over time, they just filled in those 10,000-year 10, gap with, like, a bunch of, like, the craziest shit in the universe. And it fucking rules. Like, they just have parts where there's, like, you know, uh, at one point, this guy named Goge Van Dyer was in charge, and he just, like, killed everyone. It was, like, sort of a Caligula type, and he was really bad for a while. But then he got murdered by those weird sisters of battle ladies who he had tricked into being in his control. But then the emperor psychically told them that he sucks. So they murdered him. Um, and a 
over the course of this time, 30 trillion people died because it's the whole fucking <laughs> 30 galaxy. trillion people. Because, yeah, that's the thing is like the galactic scale of it is so funny where they're just like, hmm, we've, there are like all these stories that are like, we've detected the presence of chaos on this planet. What should we do? Well, the only way to dislodge chaos is an exterminatus. And they're like, well, there's 30 billion people on that planet. We can't exterminatus 30 billion people. And then someone's like, yeah, we can. Like, bang. <laughs> and that's how 30 billion people died one afternoon. <laughs> like, I, it, it's, uh, it's so extreme. It's funny that this thing, which is, uh, seems almost explicitly to be satire in like a lot of ways, uh, is uh, unironically adopted by fans of fascism because like, you, you will see like uh, uh, like the same accounts that post Roman sculptures, you know, they're all really into Warhammer for the yeah. wrong reasons, which I think is, you know, that inevitably that will happen. Well, you I know? think it's just like it's the one mistake. It made, well, not the one mistake, because I think it's a good thing they did. But I think that it it played out the way that it did because of obvious reasons is that like people always assume humans are the good guys. Right. And if the story is told from the human's perspective and the humans are in the story, like they're the good guys. Um, and the, what Warhammer does that's so fun is make it like they're definitely the bad guys. I mean, so is everyone else, but like humans aren't the good ones. They're as bad as like, they're, they're the same as the Tyranids or chaos or the orcs or whoever. They're all equally destructive forces. Mm -hmm. Um, they once added space communists called the Tau and everyone was mad because they were so obviously correct about how to handle being in space that they had to rewrite <laughs> their backstory to make them more evil. Ah, okay. Um, now they do mind control. <laughs> Classic communist stuff. Um, yeah, you know, night George Orwell. Yeah, exactly. Now that now they do 1984. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like that. That's always been the thing, and I think there's a lot of people who just assume humans are the good guys. Like this is the story about like humans endeavoring against an endlessly hostile universe, and it's like, no, that's like textually not what's happening. But you get that, you get that idea. You get skulls, big guns, huge men. Mm -hmm. um, and you have skulls, big guns, and huge men like the Kevin Sorbo types are just like fucking there instantly. I, I still can't get over how they dangified the the Tao the Tao dynasty. They yeah. they Deng Xiaoping Tao. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> they brought it into the neoliberal fold. The Tao were just like they were like, hey, we are we we have Gundam. Or not really Gundam is more of like um, Code Geass type mechs. And they were like, we have Code Geass type mechs. We're cool. Our whole thing is we go to planets and engage them in our philosophy of the greater good, where we all work together to make space better for everyone, and we share resources, and fans were like, no, 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 no good guys allowed in 40k, get them out of here, and then they were like, oh yeah, but secretly a cabal of mind control guys run the Tau, and also can mind control all the planets, and they're, that's what's happening. Yay! Uh, the audience cheers. Yeah, they everyone's go, so happy about it. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. I love it. It's like... And the, the thing is, this is, like, the, the core of Warhammer also, is that, like, this question of who interprets it as fantasy or is, like, straight up determines how good whatever Warhammer video game you're playing at the moment is. Mm -hmm. Like, the ones that understand that it's a bit, like, Darktide that just came out are so good. Darktide starts with a corpse hanging from some wires, and then a skull descends from the ceiling, attaches to the corpse, and a hologram shoots out of the skull and is, like... Welcome to joining the glorious ranks of the emperor where you two can serve until death. And it's like, okay, well, I understand this. This is this is Starship Troopers. Um, and then there are other ones that I've played where it's like, the coolest thing you can do is kill an innocent person if they think they might be bad. 
<laughs> and so there's this big range that comes from that distinction of like satire versus versus earnestness that is like very blurry with Warhammer and obviously like the blurriness of that line has become like a real social problem the past like 10 years but uh, Warhammer really like I think that's a big part of fascination actually is that Warhammer embodies that so much because it is so on its face anti-fascist mm-hmm. but uses fascist imagery to make those arguments and that's enough for like an enormous swath of like literally recently at a major Warhammer tournament they had to kick a guy out because he played with a Nazi painted army and went by the uh, went by the tournament name of Austrian painter. Oh, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> so uh, like, you don't want that guy. So like, yeah, but you get all of those guys because of this weird distinction. And like, it's, it's, it's microcosmic of this broader like social problem where like no one can decide what's a joke or not anymore. No, uh, I, I think there's this interesting uh, quality where you get a weird sort of comfort from a nightmarish dismal fantasy universe like and the nightmarishness and the dismalness is part of the reason you derive comfort from it. And I would find this feeling alien except for the fact that I picked up Elden Ring like last month again and now I've I've beaten the game 3 times and I find myself yearning to go back to the lands between like how people would describe yearning to go back to Pandora after seeing the first Avatar movie, you know. And, and but why would I want to be in the lands between? You know, why would it's a terrible place? You know, I, you I know wouldn't who, make you it know there. who has an answer to this question? Who everyone's oh. favorite uh everyone's favorite contemporary philosopher, Slavoj Zizek. Oh um, Slavoj Zizek. Early early Zizek. I think it's tearing with the negative, or maybe um maybe it's um uh fuck, what's it? Parallax view. Um he talks this idea of over identification, which is this idea that you sort of there's a psychoanalytic framework in which there's a value in imagining the ultimate worst version of the world such as it is as a means for um like understanding the like contextualizing your own discomfort with the world it's been comforting in looking at the worst version of the world that you live in and imagining it and challenging yourself to imagine it such that you can consider the assumptions and frameworks of the world that you live in and see their gaps and their flaws and their problems mm-hmm. And that, like, humans generally have an impulse to do this because, like, it's, they're not, that we, we repress the impulse to do that, but it is, in fact, healthy to do, mm-hmm. is sort of the argument that, that Zizek makes, if I remember correctly. Um, and Zizek, just, you know, being generally a dumb guy, uh, then directs us into, like, weird, arg- like, arguments for, like, why maybe it's okay to say the N-word and stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, I mean, he always goes off and <laughs> he's a guy, that's what he does. Look, <laughs> I don't think I that's res- exactly the argument he makes, but basically it's about, like, why transgressing social norms is good, even if it makes people sad. Yeah, I mean, he frequently makes that argument. Yeah, but I, this is why, the, the way he gets to it, there, the way yeah. he gets to the place he always gets this time is, I think, pretty yeah. fascinating. Because I think it does appeal to Elden Ring, because Elden Ring is so, like, living the Mark Fisher capitalist realism, nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Mark Fisher the video game. Uh, Rory, uh, uh, Rory uh, spent six months talking about why that was true even after i made an entire 23 minute video essay for work about why it was true and i was like rory i've written the essay about this already i I get it and he's like right but it's like you know there's no end to capitalism we can always just re it's only remix no you can hook up with a hot snow witch babe 
and then plunge the world into actual free will. And then that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the that's the Delusian option. Um, there, yeah. Shouts out to Wisecrack that let me write this uh, let me write this essay. <laughs> and it's well, on the that's internet. Good you that you're doing a shout out because it's time for plugs. It's Whoa, plug time. a beautiful segue. Um, yeah, should I do the, should I do that? Yeah, do, should, do, yeah, do what are you plugs. on? What can we see you in? What's what's your work going towards? So right now, the things you can do are uh, there's a Game Boys podcast to do with our friend Griffin. Um, J-M-E-B-O-I-Z uh, You can check that one out uh, Alex has been on, Steven should come on sometime to talk about any video game You should want to talk about Dwarf Fortress because you've been in it for a minute I've been playing it, yeah um, So there's there's that one There's the three wrestling shows Slam Portal, Fight Opera, Party World Wrestling All of which are online At those very Like if you search those names you'll find them Various places, Facebook, YouTube um, The most pressing thing is Go to twitch.tv slash slam portal and check out the VOD from yesterday's show um, because it's only up for 14 days. So you got a limited window. Um, and then, yeah, then there's Wisecrack where I write or I write some of and direct all of the video essays about various things. Um, I think that's all I've got going on right this second. I've taken some slowdown from projects. <laughs> Lol. My version of slowdown from projects. <laughs> my version of that because um, of some family stuff. But. Uh, that's, that's everything that's going on right now. So check those things out and, uh, follow me on Twitter at, uh, twitch dot or at, uh, Twitter, uh, tail underscore boy, B-O-I-T-A-I-L underscore B-O-I. And, uh, check out, you know, here's, here's a plug for an earlier mentioned friend. Uh, go to cameo.com and look up Luigi Primo and get cameos of Luigi <laughs> Primo because they're the funny, they're the funniest shit in the universe. Um, so go, go do that maybe. All right, Lux, thank you so much for being on. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you here, and we'll have you on again, I'm sure. Yeah, and we'll have to do Gene Wolf next time. Yeah, I will. And I will start the Twitter chat so we can try and talk about doing RPG with Rory, because that sounds like a fucking blast. Cool. Hell yeah. All right, later, dudes. Bye. Bye.